everyone, and welcome to the Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart Podcast. I am your host, Karen Litzy, and this is podcast number 166. And today, this is all about student debt and investing. So a couple of weeks ago, I put out on Facebook and Twitter for questions uh, from uh, physical therapy students, students in general, those of you who are newly graduated and have an unfortunate amount of debt, which is horrible and terrible, and I feel so bad for you. This was not how it was when I graduated like a bazillion years ago. Um, But I wanted to do a podcast for all of you guys so that you can get a little more comfortable uh, with investing ideas and maybe get some ideas to uh, take down that student debt a little bit. And to help me do that, I have Bridget Casey. She is the voice behind Money After Graduation, which is a a great website, so everybody has to check it out. A financial literacy website dedicated to empowering 20-somethings to vanquish their debt, maximize their income, and build a lifelong wealth in the stock market. She is the creator of Masterclass Money, an investing e-course that teaches savers how to become investors by providing actionable advice to build a stock market portfolio that pays. Um, We'll talk about that later. And she holds an MBA in finance, works full-time as a consultant to early-stage startups in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. So, Bridget, thank you for taking the time out and coming on to the podcast today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. Yeah, and, and just so I always tell people kind of where I've, I, I, I meet people and where I find people, and I uh, follow Chelsea Crost, uh, K-R-O-S-T. Oh, okay. Okay. On Twitter, so if you're a millennial, I highly suggest you follow her because she has some great tweets and she has uh, some great advice and great contributors to her blog and to her Twitter feed. And so I saw a thing on her Twitter feed about student debt and I read it and it was by Bridget Casey and I thought, you know something, this is perfect. (laughs) <laughs> this is like that's a perfect awesome. fit. So that's kind of where um, I saw uh, Bridget and her work and her website, Money After Graduation, which is great. And I think everybody should go and take a look at it. Um, okay, so Bridget, before we get into the meat of everything, let's uh, talk a little bit about you and a little bit about how you became interested in finance. Is this something that you did undergraduate work with? How did this all come about? No, uh, actually, I have an undergraduate degree in chemistry, so lots of math, but not really finance-related, and after I graduated, I graduated with $21,000 of student loan debt, which now looks like a small number, especially compared to what other students have graduated with, but at the time was a crushing debt for me. I was working part-time at the Apple store and was just not making any semblance of a wage to pay this off. And I had started looking online for resources of how to get out of debt. And I found this huge personal finance community online where other people were sharing their strategies and their stories of how they were getting out of debt. And I decided to start my own blog. And that's actually how Money After Graduation was born. And it really began as just a chronicle of me paying off my own student loans and then learning to invest in the stock market and saving. And the more financial knowledge I acquired, the more I shared on the website. And so it kind of grew with me. 
as I went along online. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then when did you decide to go back to school to get an MBA in finance? <laughs> so that was 100% because of the website. So I found as I was writing about money, particularly once I got started investing, I became really passionate about it. Mm-hmm. It was just something I loved even more than I had loved science when I did my undergraduate degree. And so I made the decision that I really wanted a career in business, particularly in finance. So after uh, two years in the workforce, I re-enrolled in school and went back for my MBA in finance, which I just finished a few months ago. Congratulations. And now did did that put you back into debt? Uh, No, I was really fortunate uh, with a lot of things. First of all, I really cared about my money this time around. So I was extra careful with how I was managing my finances uh, through the program. I also got a really large entrance scholarship, and that was one of the reasons I chose this school Mm -hmm. as opposed to other schools that I had applied to and was accepted to. And then I also had the luxury of working throughout my program. So I earned a small income online through my website and freelance writing. And then in the second year of my program, because my classes were actually at night, I was able to work uh, during the day. So through a lot of juggling and scrimping and moving money around from Mm -hmm. (laughs) accounts and scholarships and taxes, I actually managed to graduate with a positive net worth. So (laughs) it was a huge accomplishment. (laughs) That's yeah, that's amazing. Um, Okay. So like I said, we got a a ton of questions and a lot of really good questions, I think, from from listeners, and most of them are students or new grads. Um, A lot of people that listen to the podcast are physical therapists or or work in healthcare, and I know that physical therapists graduate, I think the average debt is around $90,000 after PT school, which Mm -hmm. is a lot of money. And it is a lot of money. That's a lot of money. And Bridget and I were kind of talking beforehand. I was reading one of the articles on her website, which uh, after I read it, I'm like, yeah, that's right. And it's that debt is a problem. Right. But most people think, well, you know, I'll just pay it off. It'll take, you know, 10, 15 years and I'll just make the minimum payments and pay it off. But why is debt such a problem? As long as you have debt, your money isn't yours. As Whatever you owe, that is the portion of your net income that belongs to someone else. So the longer you drag that out, the more interest it accumulates the longer you're putting off your own dreams and your own life that you want to have just in the interest of carrying a creditor around with you. So I usually suggest that people should try to pay off their debt in three years. If that's too ambitious, you should try it for five, but it should definitely be less than seven. When I see people telling me that they won't be out of debt in time, they're 55 years old that's just insane to me like your debt is an emergency and you want to get rid of it as fast as you possibly can so you can keep all of the money that comes to you from your paycheck okay so so let's talk about this so one of the questions was so it kind of that leads right into the first question was I'd love to hear her best advice for new grads when considering refinancing, consolidating federal and private loans. 
Um, or what would you do if she was graduating soon with a hundred thousand plus in debt and starting a job with an average salary of sixty-five to seventy thousand dollars per year? <laughs> okay, there's a lot of questions in yeah. that one. So the first thing I really want to address is just your perspective and your wealth mindset when you graduate. So when you graduate, all you get are your student loan bills and maybe your first paycheck hasn't even come in yet. So it looks terrifying. All you can see is what you owe and not yet how that income will feel or what a difference it's going to make in your life. So what new grads should always do when they're looking at the balance that they owe and the income they have coming in is remember that you made an investment in yourself. You bought an asset that will pay you an increased dividend, your income, every year of your life from now on. So while it looks like, oh no, I just spent $100,000 and this is scary, what you really bought was an extra, say, $30,000 or $40,000 every year in earning potential for the rest of your life. You're probably not actually going to get a better return on anything else the way you are from your education. So everyone just needs to relax and be like, this was expensive, but it was a worthy purchase because I'm going to earn more money every year from now on. Mm -hmm. And then looking at your debt balances, uh, depending how many creditors you owe, like there's different strategies to pay your debt. And I usually don't recommend one, whatever makes you get your debt paid off fast is the best one. But if you find that you have high interest loans, I would say more than 10% interest, you do want to look at consolidating them to a smaller balance because interest rates are really low right now. There's no reason why you can't consolidate at an interest rate that's like 6%, 5% or even lower than that. Okay. And the lower your interest rate, the the less you pay over the lifetime of your loan. So that's just more money in your pocket. So if you do have high interest loans, I would look at consolidating those uh, together. But on the other hand, the same thing is if you have like little pockets of loans, like $3,000 here and $5,000 there, sometimes it's easy to just wipe them out one at a time and and be done. You always want to lower the number of your creditors from like 12 to two as Uh fast as you can, because it's just less bills that you have to worry about. Okay, that makes sense. And, and so Going back to what you said, if you have sort of more more than a 10% interest rate, and if interest rates are lower now at like 6 or 7%, what does that mm-hmm. equate to in real dollars? So let's just say you have, and we'll just take something easy. Let's just say you have a loan, you have a loan for $10,000, and you have a 10% interest yeah. rate, and you can consolidate to get that down to a 6 or 7% interest rate. What does that equate to in real dollars? Uh, that's going to save you a few hundred dollars each year. Like It depends how fast you pay it off. But if you mm-hmm. go from a 10% to a 7% interest rate, that's $300 off right there Got it. that you're saving. So for some people, that's their whole payment. So you've basically like, gotten a free month by just choosing a lower interest rate. Okay. But it's also how fast you pay it off. I mean, the longer you're going to carry around your debt, the more important a low interest rate is because that's just the more interest, like that's just the lifetime of the loan and the more interest you pay. So if you are looking at your loan balances and they are six figures and you know this is probably going to take you five, six, seven years to tackle, Mm -hmm. You do want low interest rates because that will literally save you thousands, maybe even tens of thousands over the lifetime of your loan. Okay, so 
look at, so the important thing or takeaway, at least from what I'm hearing, is take a look at the different loans you have, take a look at the interest rates, and if you have over 10%, try to consolidate to a lower rate. Mm-hmm. Okay. For um, sure. Okay. And so how about, so that kind of takes care of one question. Let's go back <laughs> to you've got six figures plus in debt and you're starting a job that's less than six figures, $65,000, yeah. $70,000 a year. You know, I was trying to do the math today and I'm like, Okay, so if you have a hundred thousand dollars in debt, what's your <laughs> average payment a month? Like a thousand dollars? Are you paying a thousand dollars a month on your loans? Yeah, you are probably looking close to that. I would say a thousand to twelve hundred. It's really up to your lender. So okay. your lender will actually decide uh, what your minimum payments are. Okay. Uh, based on the term you've selected, and so then it's influenced by your interest rate. But yeah, when you have a six-figure debt, you're probably going to pay, I would say between $900 and $1,200 a month towards those loans. Okay. So let's say you're making $70,000 a year, less taxes, $50,000, right? Maybe U.S. taxes. I mean, you're starting with federal at around 29% and then whatever state you live in. God forbid you live in New York City, which is where (laughs) I live. Yeah, I know you're... I think your take home would be around like 40 or $4,000 to $4,300 a month. Okay. So... Then you've got your student loans. So let's say they're a thousand dollars a month. So and then if you have mm-hmm. rent, I mean, not everybody has the luxury, or maybe they don't want to go back and live with their parents for a couple right. of years as they pay this <laughs> off. So so right. what do you do? How do you how do you get your debt down while you have to do all this other stuff? <laughs> I mean, it just it I seems mean, crazy. It is. It's not comfortable by any means and it can feel very stressful for a short time like if you're paying a thousand dollars to your loans and then say like a thousand or twelve hundred on rent and then you maybe only have two thousand dollars left to work with and if you have a car groceries and any Mm -hmm. other kind of living costs that money evaporates really fast and that's stressful and it's uncomfortable but it's temporary and so a lot of uh, new graduates really get caught up, they feel trapped, they feel like their education wasn't really worth it because they can't get out of the student loan. Okay, so if a, if a new graduate is sort of feeling buried under this debt, and how are they going to get out of it? How are they going to live on, you know, the salary that they have given the debt that they have? What, what do they do? What happens? Uh, well, it's going to be uncomfortable, especially those first few months, even the first year or two after you graduate, which I think a lot of students find frustrating, especially after you've gone to school for six, seven, eight years to get your professional degree. And now you learn you still have to live like a student after mm-hmm. you graduate. Uh, but it's really in your best interest to really tackle your debt right from the get go. And so just set a budget make your debt payment a priority right when you graduate and really work at putting an extra 200, 500, even 600 or more dollars against that balance. Because the more you knock off earlier in the game, the more interest it saves you and the more likely you are to be able to take a break later when Mm. you need to. So when students are feeling overwhelmed, I just tell them, relax and get to it and start kicking your debts. But (laughs) 
Yeah, I mean, when I first graduated from college, like I said, I didn't have the amount of debt that students are coming out with today. Um, but I did have actually the lecture. I lived at home for a year after I oh, graduated. Oh, that makes a big difference. Made a huge difference. So I didn't have to pay for rent. So, yeah. you know, when I graduated, we got these little slips and you would attach your check to the slip. I mean, now I'm assuming it's all online. Um, you would attach your check to the slip and then you would mail it in uh, once a month. So what I was doing was I was mailing it in almost once a week right? or twice perfect. a month because I had the luxury of living at home. So when I moved to New York City, which was slightly more expensive uh, cost of living than Old Forge, Pennsylvania, um, because I had been paying so much in advance when I came to New York City, I actually didn't have to pay on my loans for for that's a amazing of months because I was already like a year ahead of the game as far as the that, loans that's were fantastic. Concerned. So, kind of what you just said, if you have an extra extra money here and there, what like one month, put it toward those loans because it may come back later to kind of save you. So. That that exactly. strategy really worked for me. Um, and listen, I also, when I first graduated, um, I was I also had a job, like working seasonal at the mall, <laughs> you know, one for the discount on clothes and yeah. two for the extra money because I would work during the day and then go there at night or weekends or seasonal work. So, you know. And it's, that's awesome. If you can find a second source of income mm -hmm. and use it to pay your debt, that's ideal. A lot of, I find a lot of professionals don't necessarily want to do that. They feel like they've worked really hard for their prestigious high paying job and they're really reluctant to go back to being a server or a barista or working in retail. But sometimes that's what you need to do. It's, it's not forever. It's mm -hmm. just, for a little bit so you can get ahead and there's no shame in making money in an honest way. If anything, it gets you so far ahead of your peers and builds your wealth for your lifetime that it's 100% worth it suffering for 10 or 15 hours a week yeah. in one of those jobs. Yeah. And, and I know that a lot of physical therapists, they may take on um, some extra home health patients or they'll work overtime. And I, I mean, I used to also work overtime at the hospital I worked at. Mm -hmm. Um, but I could have gone the home health route, but I was like, you know, I'm doing pe like working with patients, very sick patients in a hospital all day. So yeah. I kind of wanted to do something outside of it just to, so that I wasn't kind of in a burnout stage. So yeah, of course. for me, I think it really helped, you know, and it and gave me that extra money. Um, like I said, just to, just to even go out with friends for dinner. Exactly. Like if you, if you take your full-time job, it's salary and you divide it into your bills, debt payments and savings, and then you use your side hustle or side employment income mm -hmm. and say, that's just for fun. You'll be a lot more motivated to build that up. If that's your fun money, mm -hmm. you'll, you'll go out and work some extra hours so you can go out with your friends. So that's always a nice way to compartmentalize your, your income. Yeah. And, and I really like what you said. There's no shame in, in, going back and getting a, a different job, even though you just went to school for so long to, to start your career. Um, and, and I, you know, that's what I did and it seemed to work for me. I mean, I was, uh, way ahead of the game. So I was pretty happy about that. 
Um, so basically, it can happen. So you can pay off those student loans even though your salary is technically less than than the student loan. But I think you're right. It comes, it comes down to kind of buckling down, accepting that this is what you have on your plate and working hard and, and getting it done. If you like, if you want to be really creative about it, you can be like, okay, I'm a physiotherapist. I make $70,000 a year instead of $30,000, which I would without this degree working in just an entry level job. So that difference, that $40,000 difference, that's the benefit of your degree. Mm-hmm. Use that to pay your loans. Yeah, that's, that's what the true. degree got you. So use that to pay the loans and it might, it will take you more than a year. It might take you like five years, but it's that difference that you went to school for. That's what you borrowed for. So now that it's coming into your pocket, use it to pay back your debt. Yeah, no, that, that makes perfect sense. That's great. Great advice. Um, okay. So going on to the next question, the person wrote, I second the first question. So we've got that. Um, so what is your opinion on getting a personal financial advisor that you meet with versus a company that's all online like LearnVest for meeting financial goals and getting information about investing? <laughs> this is this is a challenging uh, question because, again, I think it's really individual. When it comes to choosing a financial advisor, like you should definitely interview, I would say, three or four okay. uh, just to make sure that they are really like they have the personality. They listen to you. They're not trying to push you into one product or another. So if you're going the personal route, you do want to check in with more than one person because it's really easy to go to the wrong investment bank place or, and there are scams out there. Like I don't want to scare anyone, but there are ones out there where it will just be a guy like, Oh, give me this much money and I'll put it into this. And if they're profiting off the stocks that, or mutual funds or products that they're selling you, that's usually a bad sign because then they're going to try to get as much money out of you as possible. Mm. What you want to find is a fee-only financial advisor. So they just charge by the times that you see them and the work they do for you. They don't charge or they don't take a portion of where you put your money. So that's one thing that's really important when you're looking for financial advisors. As far as the online uh, programs, those are great for people that want a really hands-off approach. They do get kind of expensive the more money you put into them. Like they look really great at the beginning because it's like a 0% cost if you have less than $10,000. But once you start accumulating wealth and you're getting into the 50,000, 100,000, 200,000 mm-hmm. net worth, they're mm-hmm. they're taking a percentage of that to manage oh, okay. your money. So that's where okay. it comes from. That's how they get money from you. And the bigger your nesting is, the bigger chunk they, they take. But they still offer a really hands-off approach. So if finances are not something you want to be super involved in and you want to kind of just set it and forget it. Mm-hmm. Those robo advisors are great, but what you really need to do is work on your own financial literacy because the last thing you want to do is go meet with a financial advisor or go read about these online robo advisors and not know what they're saying. Mm-hmm. Like you want to understand what are the different kinds of asset classes, 
what are some of the tax advantaged accounts there. So really just picking up a very basic book on personal finance or even reading blogs. Like that's what I did. That's why I have my blog. It's just reading websites. You can gain a lot of knowledge there and there's no better investment than you can make in your own financial knowledge and understanding. And are there any books that you would recommend, like a go-to book for a beginner? Uh, most of mine are Canadian, so I don't know if I can, uh, think of one offhand. I know I love one called Rich by 40 by Leslie Ann Scorgi. And it's awesome. I do think there's actually a U.S. version of that. If not, she has, uh, second one called Well Healed that's primarily directed towards women, but it's an awesome resource. And then there's other uh, books out there like The Wealthy Barber or Automatic Millionaire. And there's a huge variety and you're going to find one that really resonates with Mm -hmm. you and resonates with the strategy and lifestyle that you want to achieve. Okay. And so when you're getting back to kind of looking for a financial advisor, so just I just want to reiterate the kind of things that you want to look for when you're kind of interviewing around. Um, so you want someone that's going to listen to you, someone who's not going to try and push things on you, um, right. and a fee-only financial advisor. Anything else that, like, what would be some red flags that would make you think, "Ooh, I don't. I this is not. This is not going to work." If they don't immediately ask you about your financial goals, like if they just sit you down and ask you how much money you have to invest, like big red flag. Okay. Because you want someone that's helping you build your life. You want to be able to tell them, we want to buy a home. I want to start a family. Whatever those reasons are. I want to retire early. I want to run my own practice. That's, you want someone that's going to help you meet those goals because that's what money is for. Money is to buy the life that you want. What was that? Money is to buy the life that you want. Oh, I lost you for a moment there. What was that? Oh, (laughs) I said money. The purpose of money is to buy the life that you want. Mm -hmm. So it's not about accumulating a certain amount. It's just making sure that what you're working so hard for achieves your goals. So you really want someone that asks you, when do you want to retire? What kind of lifestyle do you want? And all those kind of questions. Okay. Uh, the other concern is if someone's pushing you into a product and they're not really explaining what it is. So mm-hmm. if they say they have a great mutual fund for you and they might like use financial jargon to kind of confuse you and make you not want to ask because some people feel stupid asking. They feel they should know mm-hmm. um, what some of the, like don't, if you don't understand something, ask them and they should explain it to you. If they're not answering your questions, if you don't understand what they're going to do with your money, that's terrifying. Just run, just run in the opposite direction. Got it. Got <laughs> it. People. Yeah. Turn around, run, don't look back. Right. Cause you want someone that's going to educate you while they help you reach your goals. Okay, no, that makes perfect sense. Um, and do you, th- oh, here's another, here's another big question. Um, do you think that you should pay down debt first and then start saving for retirement and or investing or do both at the same time? <laughs> That's a very common question. And yes. I'm always an advocate of doing both at the same time. Uh, most people don't like that because sometimes it makes them feel overwhelmed because they think, oh no, I have to save here. I can only pay this much debt and so on and so on. But 
you really don't want to neglect the years of dividends and interest that your savings can earn. And it's also about building good habits. If you're thinking, oh, it's going to take me five years to pay off my debt and I'll be a saver then. If you haven't been saving for five Mm. years while you've been working, it's really hard to get into the habit later. So Mm -hmm. it's less important the amount that you put away than it is that you build the habit and you're consistent. So I usually tell people to start with something as small as like $50 to $100 a month in their retirement funds and then all the rest to debt. And then the great thing is five years later, you're debt free and you've built up tens of thousands of dollars in your savings. But you should definitely do a blended approach because the habit and consistency is more important than the actual numbers. Yeah, that's great advice. I even I did not even look at it from a habit perspective. Yeah. But that <laughs> makes perfect advice. Um, that makes perfect sense, I mean. Like what what I do, and I don't know what what you think about this is. I just had um, money just automatically taken out of my checking account, Perfect. so that I didn't even notice it. You know? Exactly. And I think I started with like twenty five dollars a week, and then yeah. you know, over the years as I paid off my debt, I've put and and also my fi- and financial situation has changed. So I just sort of played around with those values and would increase it so that now I pay much more into my savings. Exactly. Because it's really like it's really hard to go from zero to saving $800 a month. It's really easy to go from saving $600 to $800 a month. So you really want to get into that habit early on. Yeah, uh, that makes perfect sense. And I think to have it something... I know for me, I needed something that was automatic. Like if I had mm-hmm. to physically each week <laughs> take $25, like I would not do it. I know I wouldn't because <laughs> I know myself. So I needed to have something that was automatic. And and now I actually have that automatically put into my um, IRA account. Perfect. Which is even better. Um, so, oh, actually, here's a question. Um, when Let's say you're you are putting money away. And you're putting mm-hmm. money into an investment type account, not just like a savings account at your bank. Yeah. Um, is it better to put a little bit in each month or each quarter or put just one chunk in at the end of the year? Uh, I generally prefer if you can do it monthly, mm-hmm. then that's your that's your best option. Sometimes if you're uh, depositing money into an investment account, they have minimums that you have to meet. So some are very low, like $100 a month. But mm-hmm. I've seen others that say, well, you need to make a deposit of at least $500 or $1,000. So if you can't afford that monthly, then it I would wait till quarterly or semi-annually or whatever works on your schedule. But if mm-hmm. you have an investment account that lets you contribute monthly, def- definitely do that. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. And, you know, I think it's also better to kind of invest versus just keeping it sitting in your savings account. Absolutely. 0.1%, (laughs) 0.01% these days. I don't know. I know it's that see that that's the double edged sword of low interest rates. They're good if you have loans or mortgages. It's awesome to have a low interest rate, but the other side it means the interest rate on your savings account is really bad. Right. So 
I I mean, I am so pro-investing. I love the stock market. I went back to school and got an MBA in finance just to learn how to do the stock market better. So I will always encourage young people to choose investing over saving because the returns are so much greater. You can even choose a super safe dividend stock and they're going to pay you 3%. And it's not like it's hardly less risky than a savings account mm. and you get so much more money. Sure. And and let's so since we're talking about the stock market and and investing, let's talk about this for a moment. So when you say to having people invest in the stock market, I think the first thing that comes to people's minds is, well, I don't know what individual stocks to invest in. I mean, <laughs> I have I work all day. Am I supposed to come home and then research what stocks? So right. do you mean individual stocks? Do you mean mutual funds? Uh, what are the ETF funds? So, uh, you know, when you say invest in the stock market, what exactly do you mean? Uh, I primarily mean invest in common stocks and ETFs, which are exchange-traded funds. Uh, mutual funds are okay. Some of them can have really high fees. So I always encourage people that have mutual funds to check the fees. If you're paying 2 or 3% to the fund manager, uh, that's really eating into your returns. Okay. So when people are getting started investing, I usually recommend ETFs because you can buy an index the same as you would with a mutual fund, which is just a collection of stocks. So mm -hmm. you don't have to research a bunch of individual stocks and find out all these numbers and calculate if they're safe or not. If you just buy, like say the S&P 500, an ETF for that, it will just perform as the S&P 500. And that's a safe, diversified, profitable investment. And what is the, I'm sorry, I, I, you might have just mentioned this, but I think I missed it. What is the difference between an ETF and a mutual fund? Uh, it's how they're traded. So an ETF is traded on the stock market uh, daily. That's why it's called an exchange traded fund. It's traded on the stock market exchange. A mutual fund isn't traded daily like that. It has uh, different entry and exit points for it, so it's a little more limited in how its price fluctuates, essentially. The ETF will always reflect the, like this price will change with the market by the second. Mutual fund, they'll only update the prices like end of day when the stock market closes. And it typically takes a few days to settle your trade with a mutual fund, whereas an ETF is instant. Okay. And does an ETF have less fees than a mutual fund? It does. They're sometimes as small as one-tenth of the fees of a mutual fund. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. That's a big difference. It is a big difference. It, it makes a huge difference in your overall returns. And they often offer higher dividends and they pay out their dividends more often. I often see mutual funds that will only pay a di dividend semi-annually or annually, mm -hmm. whereas many ETFs offer dividend payments quarterly or even monthly. So you get money deposited in your account once a month for holding the ETF. Got it. Okay. And what do you think about... I once asked um, a patient of mine what he thought about the, you know, the the websites um, like Ameritrade where you can go on and kind of day trade and all that kind of stuff on your own. Now, I uh, this patient of mine um, was an interest. He was the the CEO of one of the largest investment banks in the world. Okay, and so I asked him, and he. 
said, if you don't know what you're doing, it's probably not a good idea. And let the professional, let the professionals handle it. Um, so what is, what is your opinion on that? Uh, that's true. If you don't know what you're doing, it's gambling in the stock market is usually what I, what I tell people. If you're just Mm -hmm. making guesses, that's no different than buying a lotto ticket. Mm. But at the same time, investing in the stock market is not as complex uh, as most people think it is. I think we have a lot of fear of it because many of us either graduated or were in school or working at the time of the financial crash in 2008. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So in our head, we're still like, stock market is terrible. It's scary. We're going to lose all our money. And so you kind of have to get past that and be like, what can I learn here? And it's not beyond your level. It's very easy to learn how to buy and sell stocks or ETFs. Like those uh, accounts like Ameritrade or E-Trade or those mm-hmm. online discount brokerages, like it is in your best interest financially to learn how to set up an account and learn how to buy and sell stocks. I don't think anyone should day trade. Like I have an MBA in finance and I don't even day trade. Uh-huh. I think <laughs> I think it's a good way to like lose a lot of money. But when it comes to managing your finances, like you should know how to do that. You go work 40 hours a week for this money. And then you want to tell me you're not willing to put in an extra one or two hours Mm -hmm. to learn how to manage it. Like Mm -hmm. it's, it seems crazy that people are okay with earning the money, but then they don't want to learn the very basics. Like what is a stock? What is an ETF? And go from there. You don't have to get an MBA in finance to do it, but it's actually very easy to master the stock market basis. And I don't want anyone to be intimidated about it. You should feel empowered about investing. It's awesome. It's fun and it makes you a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. (laughs) That's always good. Um, Okay. So we talked about uh, student debt and kind of consolidating and why and when you should do that. We talked about uh, the financial advisor versus the online stuff. We went on a little Mm -hmm. tangent about the stock market. (laughs) Um, Now, I know you're Canadian, um, but I'm going to ask you this question anyway, and I don't know if they have this in Canada, but um, 401k and Roth IRAs, um, what are smart investing options for recent graduates? And, and let's say recent graduates who maybe have a family or who have some other um, income requirements outside of themselves. Right. Uh, so we do have similar accounts here in Canada that operate the same as the 401k and the Roth IRA. So I'll touch a bit on what I know about them, but there might be some gaps in my knowledge, mm-hmm. so I apologize for that. Uh, with a 401k, what you want to do is if your employer offers any kind of matching, Mm -hmm. you 100% want to go right into that because that's just free money that's given to you. If they're offering matching, that's like 100% return on your money right there. Uh, That is a tax-deferred account. So that means you put your money in it and you let it grow tax-free until retirement and you'll pull pull it out and be taxed on it at uh-huh. that time. Uh-huh. The Roth IRA operates a little bit uh, differently. So you put after tax money into it and then it just grows and you can withdraw from it at any time without any tax penalty. So I usually suggest when people are young, when they have a lot of student loan debt or their income is low, you want to choose a vehicle like the Roth ROA primarily because 
your your money is going to grow in there uh, under the best tax mm-hmm. shield. Essentially, mm-hmm. it's low after tax income. It's going to grow in there as you go through your career and your income gets higher. Especially if your income is going to be say sixty or seventy thousand, even in retirement, you want to start putting your money into the four hundred one k there. So as far as which is best for a family. I'm not sure how families impact your contribution limits on those, mm-hmm. but that's, again, the most important thing to consider is what are your limits? Your goal should be to max out both accounts. Mm-hmm. You probably won't be able to do that in your early years. So when you're right. just starting out, focus on the Roth IRA and then put money into the 401k unless you have employer matching, in which case 401k first, Roth IRA second. Got it. And if your employer, let's say your employer matches up to 6%, do you put in only 6% and have them match that 6% or do you go above that? Uh, I would just do the max. Like I would do 6% until my Roth IRA was maxed out. Got it. Got it. Okay. All right. So, um, do one, both, a combination of both if you can. Um, but if your 401k is matching, definitely do it. Right. Got it. Okay. Yeah, I have a Roth IRA. I had a regular IRA and then just converted it to a Roth IRA a number of years ago. Um, mm-hmm. And it just seems like the way to go because in, let's say, I retire in 40, 50 years um, and taxes are higher I don't have to pay taxes on that as I take it out. Exactly. And it's been growing for how many? 40 decades. years. And, <laughs> yeah, and you, don't, and you don't pay any taxes on that income. So you want that to be your biggest, your biggest net dig. Got it. Got it. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. Okay. Um, so moving on. This was an interesting question, actually. What are your thoughts about throwing money at our debt while we're still in school if we can afford it? So you're in school, you're working, and maybe you can afford to throw a little money at that debt while you're in school. What do you think about that? If the debt is collecting interest, then definitely do it. If your student loans are not collecting interest while you're a student, don't bother because then there's no... Uh, payoff from from that money for you, but if they're if they're accruing interest, you do want to keep that balance as low as possible by making payments now. But the one thing that you should be careful of is when you're a student is that you do have money on hand for unexpected costs. Because even in my mm. MBA, I found like random costs just always creeped up. I needed to take some specialized seminar for $600. I had to go to this event for $200. Mm-hmm. And so you don't want to get rid of all your extra money. You do want to keep some of it aside for unexpected costs. This can be in an emergency fund or it can just be kind of a slush fund for unexpected expenses. And then when you graduate then you can use it to make a huge lump sum payment on your student loans and go from there. But, but like I said, if there's no interest, there's no hurry. Got it. Got it. Um, and here's another question, also another interesting question. Um, so this person asked, I have some money left over from a previous job in an IRA. It could easily pay for two semesters worth of school. Is it better to leave that where it is, even if the growth is small, or should I use it and not be stuck paying 6.5 interest on a loan? (laughs) Uh, 
again, that's the tough question. If she's going to pay 6.5% interest on a loan and she's telling me this money is not accruing interest uh, or isn't getting a high return, then it does seem like a better idea to withdraw it and and just pay for school. Uh-huh. But I hate doing that. Like, I hate depleting my savings. I had to do it for my MBA, and it was like giving away everything that's precious to me to use my income. So I would actually suggest find a different way to pay for it. Get a scholarship, find a second job or odd jobs that you can use. You don't want to get into the habit of withdrawing your savings to pay for things. Because once you think that it's okay to raid these accounts, like your Roth IRA to go on, uh, take a semester abroad or go on a vacation or do other things, you Mm -hmm. will always think that it's okay to do that. And you want to break that barrier. You want to know in your mind that your savings can't be touched. So, I mean, from an interest rate perspective, it looks like the right decision, but Mm -hmm. I would strongly, strongly encourage you to find a better better way to pay for it rather than rating your savings. Do you, are you penalized for taking money out early? No, I don't think so from the Roth IRA because it's Uh, after tax income in. So uh, it's after tax income out, right? Got it. It's on with the 401k because that's tax referred. When you withdraw, they'll tax you on the 401k, but the Roth IRA is after tax. So it's okay. Okay. Got it. All right. Well, this is definitely a lot of really great info. Um, but my question for you is, is there now we spoke uh, when I introduced you that you have some online resources and I know you have one for student debt that we spoke about earlier. So can you talk a little bit more about this online resource you have for people um, concerning student debt and how much does it cost? <laughs> right. So I created what I call the Debt Crusher eCourse, and it's an eight module online eCourse that you can enroll in to help you pay off your debt. And so in this program, it includes uh, information, words of encouragement, some spreadsheets, and for many people, a reality check of what their debt is really costing them and mm-hmm. why there's so much urgency to pay it off. And so I offer that on moneyaftergraduation.com and the cost is $0. $0, people. Zero, Zero dollars. dollars. It is a free resource because you're already in debt, so I'm not going to take any more money from you for it. Which is great. So go to moneyaftergraduation.com and get it. It's free. It will help you perhaps get into a better mindset and give you some practical tools to help pay down your debt. Is that correct? Am I correct in saying that? Yeah, that's perfect. I've had a lot of success with it. Actually, at this point, more than 200 people have gone through the program and and it's been awesome. So everything that you need is there. And if you have any other questions, I'm definitely available by email to help you along. And and then the other program that you have is uh, Masterclass Money Program. So what is that about and who is that targeted to? So that is a program I'm really excited to offer. It took me quite a while to put together, but it's 
awesome because it's a course that actually teaches you how to invest in the stock market. So we've discussed that a little bit in this podcast, mm-hmm. how I think people should improve their financial literacy, learn how to manage their own money and get started investing in the stock market because you don't want to leave your money earning 1% or less in or a savings account when less. you could be... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, like way less. Yeah. Sometimes right now, um, I think some people don't realize how profitable the stock market is. Like historically, the return has been ten percent annually. Mm-hmm. That's even including the tr- crash of two thousand and eight. Mm-hmm. So you're missing out on a lot by not investing in there. So I designed the Masterclass Money program, which is a twelve module e learning program. It again, it's uh information, spreadsheets. This one also has videos in it. And I go through everything from what is a stock to how to actually execute a trade where I've done a screencast of me Mm. buying and selling stocks. So you can see what I need to, what you need to do to build your portfolio. And it's everything about asset allocation, how to set up passive income. So you actually get paid dividends for holding stocks and just altogether a comprehensive program that took me more than five years of DIY investing experience and an MBA in finance to do. (laughs) Now I've Mm -hmm. condensed it into a program for the masses. Great. And that, I mean, that sounds like it's for anyone, not just someone starting out. Is that right? And, and it is, it's for anyone that wants to earn more than 0.5% on their money. If you Uh want to earn 5%, 7%, 10% 5%, 7%, 10% by investing in the stock market. Like this is this is the program for you. It will show you how to design a portfolio that's safe and profitable and that you can manage yourself so you're not always giving your money to the robo advisors mm-hmm. or financial advisors. Like if you come in with this built to your financial advisor, he'll be super impressed that you <laughs> that you've done everything yourself. So Right, right. I've so- worked I was going to say, so even if you do work with a financial advisor or if a lot of times the company that you work with as part of their 401k will attach you to a financial advisor. So the more information that you're armed with going into it, I would think the better your return is going to be. Exactly. The more you know, the richer you'll become. Perfect. Perfect. I love it. Um, Okay. So again... We're gonna. We're just just about done here. But uh, please say again the name of your website and how people can get in touch with you. Uh, my website is moneyaftergraduation.com, and you can contact me directly there or via email at bridget at moneyaftergraduation.com. And I'm also on Twitter yes. as moneyaftergrad. Moneyaftergrad. So at moneyaftergrad. Um, so this was great. I think it gives people a general idea of. Uh, what they can do and how they can at least attack some of this student debt that everyone's in. So I thank you very much for coming on and for spending the time at, you know, after work, um, (laughs) again, kind of doing a little bit of side hustle after work. So thank you so much for coming on, Bridget. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Karen. It was awesome. All right. Well, everybody, thank you so much. I hope I hope that you uh, learned a little bit today. I know I certainly did. Have a great week and stay healthy, wealthy, and smart.